the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the radio broadcast ministry of Kettering Baptist Church, where we minister in the spirit of excellence under the leadership of our anointed senior pastor, Bukas Sterling III. Please stay tuned at the end of this broadcast for information on how to obtain a copy of today's message in its entirety. And now, Pastor Sterling. On this afternoon, we're going to be in Acts chapter 9. We'll begin at verse number 1. What I'm going to do is I'm going to close out our series of messages entitled Driven by Destiny. Uh, The word of the Lord reads as follows. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said to him, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Verse 15 says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine, to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Amen. During our series, we moved from Genesis chapter 32, topic being driven by destiny, to Genesis chapter 37, part 2, revealing of the destiny, Genesis chapter 37 through 40, the distractions to your destiny, and last when we were together, John chapter 10 and Matthews chapter 2 and 4, the devil and your destiny. Today, I want to use these verses to talk from the subject matter, Damascus destiny. For some of us, as with Jacob, we are born knowing our destiny. But for far more of us, we're born not knowing our destiny and we're faced with a life journey of searching out what is it that God put me here on this earth to do. And we struggle with it. We wrestle with it. We take tests to try to help discover it. We ask mama and daddy and grandparents and we are searching it out, praying our way through it and trying to discover what 
really is God's destiny and predetermined cause for our being here. Sometimes, and more often than not, we all have this Damascus destiny experience that we finally find out what it is that God has called us to and desires for us to do. 31 years ago, I myself had that kind of experience, a Damascus colliding with my calling destiny that happened in my life when I ran my favorite car into the back of another car and was thrown into the windshield and nearly killed. And not only me, but my brother too. It was that coupled with leaving this area, going to North Dakota and running into what I did not know even existed, 65 degrees below zero weather. I didn't even know the temperature went that low till God got my attention and I had a collision with God and I found out it wasn't my show. It was his and that he had purpose and calling for my life. And so it is these kind of Damascus destiny experiences that happen in our life. And more often it looks like what we see play out in this text. My first movement and the first thing I'll talk about is, first of all, you believe that you are Lord. Saul thought he was right. We all have been in the place where we felt that what we were doing was right and no one has the right or the privilege of challenging us in what we're doing. Paul thought he was right. It says here, the apostle Paul who was raised up knowing the law, being a student of the law, going to the esteemed seminaries, uh, studies of the law, knowing all the Old Testament, knowing all there was to know about Judaism. Paul threatened this new movement called Christianity. Then Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, that is any who were following Jesus Christ, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He was going to put them in fetters and chains and drag them back to Jerusalem. He knew he was right. And Saul, which is his name at this particular point in time, persecuted the church. He was not ashamed of what he was doing. He was diligent in what he did. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. Nobody did persecution like Saul. He was a leader in what he did. He was out front in what he did. He didn't just say, I'll go get him. He went and got permission and led us to go get him because he knew he was right. And all of what he was doing was an attempt to hold up what he knew to be the traditions of his fathers of Judaism. And he was so adamant about the fact that he was right that in chapter 7 we find that he is there at the stoning of Stephen. Holding the coats and condoning the act of killing a man because this man preached something other than Judaism. He was against the church. He was angry with God and angry with those who would dare speak that this Christ was somehow a Messiah, was somehow 
God himself. And so he was angry and against and violently pushing against it. And he didn't care men or women. I'm taking you locked up. If he found out you were of the way, he'd come up in your house. Get you, lock you up, and take you off from Damascus to Jerusalem because he knew he was right. He thought he was Lord. He thought he was in control. And though our lives may not be as drastic or severe as Saul's life, we too, at various points and times, knew that we were Lord. And we were adamant about it. We were adamant about what we were doing was right. As we were climbing the corporate ladder, we knew we was right. And nobody dared tell me that I'm not doing the right thing. This is the right thing. I'm climbing the corporate ladder. When I was selling drugs, I knew I was right. Whatever it is that you were doing and whatever, you plug your thing in there. You knew you was right. Could nobody tell you. And not only that, for some of you, you were good at what you did that was wrong. I mean, you had your peace and you had your reputation You carried your weapon and and you had your posse around and you was climbing up the ladder and you knew that you were the man or you were the woman in what you were doing and nobody dared tell you anything different. You knew you was right. Couldn't nobody tell you nothing different. You was in charge. You were Lord of your life. You did what you wanted to do. And don't don't just get mad at them. Don't point the finger at them. We all did different things. When we were smoking and drinking and running men and running women and doing whatever it was, we knew what we were right and we did what we wanted to do as long as we wanted to do it, how we wanted to do it. And couldn't nobody tell us anything different. If you got the nerve to step to me to tell me, you was in trouble. Because we thought we were Lord. That's where Saul is. He thinks he's Lord. He has full control of his life. And we thought we only answered to ourselves. But Saul, like many of us, would then meet the Lord. And the text picks up in verse number three that Saul, while he's breathing out threats and violence and, and wanting to take men and women into bondage, he met the Lord. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul was pressing his way to doing what he knew to be right and what he had already predetermined in his mind his life was going to look like. And he was adamant about it and he was doing it to what he believed was the glory of God in Saul's case, not necessarily our case. And then while he's on his way, and this is what I kind of like and don't like about God. God lets you get up to speed before he hits you with a two by four in the gut and say wrong direction. It it wasn't when you was just starting to get bad. It was when you showing up was bad. That's what he does. And Saul is the man. I mean, he's got a reputation all over town. We'll see it later on. Everybody's afraid of him. And God waits till he gets up full steam on his road. He's got license in his hand to arrest people. And it's at that point when he's got all the momentum that he runs into the light of God. I'm trying to help somebody right here. Because when you're at your darkest dark and you're at high speed in darkness, that's when you can best run into the light. Saul ran into the light. It's right there in the text. He journeyed, came, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven, and then he fell to the ground. And let me say something about this, because when you meet the Lord, you will fall 
to the ground. He will humble you. He will break you down. Saul met him, and the text says it broke him down. He fell off his horse. He's on the ground, on his face, and all that he thought was right, right now doesn't have no authority, has no meaning, has no power. Even though he met the Lord, he didn't even know who the Lord was. But he thought he was working for the Lord. Sometimes we think we're doing the right thing. We think we're orchestrating and following the plan that God has for our life until we collide with our calling and realize even though I was doing a good job at what I was doing, that's not really what God called me to do. Even though I was a senior system engineer, that wasn't where God called me. So he stopped the plan that I had in 1994 when he called me out of the secular world into full-time ministry. He stopped my plan in 1985 when I thought I was going to be somebody in electronic and electrical engineering field. And God said, that ain't my plan. I haven't met a preacher that was truly called of God yet who said, I knew that I was going to be a preacher. And I haven't met one that's been a preacher too long that says, this is what I always wanted to do. Because this Damascus thing, it changes the direction and the plans of your life and your heart. And it requires this humility that we see of the Apostle Paul. It requires you to get down. It requires you to humble yourself. It requires you to submit yourself to the one who really is Lord. Paul falls down and he says, in essence, who are you, Lord? And, and the Lord he uses is not Lord God. Who are you, man? Who, who are you? What that lets us know is that he doesn't know who he is dealing with, nor who's speaking to him, which helps me know if you don't know his voice, then you can't do his work. And so he says, verse number five, fell to the ground, heard the voice of the Lord. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? As Saul is persecuting the Christian, what Jesus is saying to Saul is, Saul, when you persecute them, you're persecuting me because those people belong to me. And those people are a part of me. Preacher, listen to me. These people are a part of him. And what we do to them, we do to him. And what we don't do to them, we don't do for him. That's why the Bible lets us know what we've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. Because these people belong to him. And so Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? These people are me. They're part of me. They're part of my body. I died for them. Why are you persecuting me? So verse 5, and Saul says, who are you? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And it's hard to kick against the goads. It's hard to go in the direction that I haven't ordained for you. It's hard for you to travel right when I've destined you to go left. I know you made it up in your mind that I'm going to do what I want to do, but I'm trying to help somebody right here that when God says this is the direction that I have for you, everything you do in the opposite direction is going to fail. And even the success as mild as they are in the opposite direction, they will not amount to anything and they're temporary, but what you do for him, it lasts. 
for my preachers, when you lay out the word of God, it's not for your celebration, it's not for your adoration, it's for the eternal purposes of God. And so when you preach it, preach it for him. It's about him. But when you go against where I have you to go, it's going to be hard for you to kick against the goads. It's hard to kick against the hard wall. It's, it's hard to move in the direction that I've blocked. It's harder going in the direction that he doesn't have for you. Saul met the Lord and realized how powerful it was to talk to this God. It's Jesus whom you persecuting. And it's hard for you, Saul, to kick against the goads. He says, Saul, you, in essence, you just collided with your calling. He says to him, verse number six, so he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? So that's the spot right there. When you finally decide that, Lord, I've been fighting you. I've been resisting you. And God, now, even though I may have reached an older age, maybe I could have done more when I was younger, but now, Lord, I surrender. What do you want me to do, God? Because guess what? All of life is wrestling against you when you go in the wrong direction. If you are not traveling in the direction of your destiny, everything's going to be harder than it could have been. And I'm not saying it's going to be an easy flowing road, but what I am telling you, it's easier to walk through fire when you've got Jesus with you than to walk through it by yourself. We've got to make sure that we're traveling in the direction he has us traveling in, and you're not going to get there until you meet the Lord. And when I say the Lord, I'm talking about the one who has authority to determine your life. Because when you say this is what I'm going to do, you are making yourself Lord. Now, he might be your savior, but you are Lord when you're controlling things. Saul met the Lord and finally allows him to be Lord. What do you want me to do? So he believed he was Lord, then he met the Lord, and then finally you realize that you've been chosen by the Lord. At that moment when Saul surrenders, he's going to get up to go to where God tells him to go. Jesus says to him, verse number six, I believe it is, latter part, he said, the Lord said, rise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. But watch this. At that moment, Saul becomes blind. He loses his sight. You know why I like that? Because when God sends you, notice two things. One, he didn't tell Saul the whole story. He just said, Saul, get up and go into the city. You was already on your way to Damascus. Go on into Damascus, and when you get there, I'll tell you what to do. Because if God had told me in 1985 where I was going, I would have parked myself in the sand. Lord Jesus. And I'd have said, mm-mm, I'm not going. He only going to tell you enough to get you to the next part of the journey. See, he was journeying anyway, but this is just the next pace of the journey. I know you got plans, ready to retire and all that, and, and thinking about how you're going to you know, do all your stuff, but guess what? There's a journey he's got planned. Saul realized that he was chosen by God as he leaves out blind, he needs somebody to lead him. Up until now, Saul was used to doing things his way, he always knew what he wanted to do, how he wanted to do it. Couldn't nobody tell him nothing. And he didn't need nobody's help. He was self-sufficient. God has a way when you collide with your calling of blinding you that you need somebody else to lead you. Amen? 
Saul's blind. And then God calls Ananias. And he says to him, Ananias, I got a man I want you to go meet. And I want you to go meet him. He's in the street, in the street called Straight. Go get him. And he says, who is it? He says, Saul. Nah, uh-uh. Nah, I heard about Saul. I heard, this is what the text says if you keep reading all the way through. Verse 15, he says, I, said, I heard about Saul. Saul has permission to persecute the church. Saul hates the church. He is locking up Christians. I'm not going to him. And the Lord comes back to Ananias after allowing him to spout off. He says, verse 13, and Ananias answered the Lord, I've heard from many about this man, da, 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 how much he's done, what he's done to the saints, what he is battle against Jerusalem. Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go for he is a chosen vessel of mine. Here is the thing I want to talk to everybody about too. It's not always easy for us to realize God has chosen them. One, because of jealousy. What's so special about him? I don't like the way he talked. I don't like his clothes. I don't like his wife. I don't like where he lives. I don't like where he came from. I don't, we got all jealousy, all kinds of stuff. We got all kind. Of, we got issues, and so we look at people and we size them up to determine in our own pea brains whether or not they qualify to serve God. He died for them, but we get to tell them whether or not they should be able to serve God. And so part of the challenge is for us to be able to accept that God chose them. And then after we accept that God has chosen them, and they have to accept it because Ananias, he had a hard time accepting this. But the Lord says, God told him, he said, look, Ananias, I've chosen him to be my vessel so he can bear my name before the Gentiles, before kings, and the children of Israel. Ananias, not only is this Saul whom you are dealing with, not only is he a chosen vessel, but he's my chosen vessel that I'm going to use mightily. Now, here's my question. At the point when Saul meets Ananias, do you think Ananias thought that Saul was going to rise to the place that he would become the Apostle Paul, where we would be reading his text 2,000 years later? No. You would never know what God has planned. But as the Lord told Ananias, I hear him saying to us, I have chosen them. Here's one of the things that is most amazing to me. That the Lord has taken these 66 books of anointed word that is his word that's spoken. And he has who spoke it, entrusted this sacred holy word to meager men as us. And then he has said to us, unqualified, uneducated, uncouth, unwhatever, I have chosen you, even though your friend next door has his PhD, even though your buddy went to school and he didn't skip no classes, but I'm, cho- I'm choosing you. The unqualified. I'm choosing you. The one who nobody would think ought to be there. I've chosen you. Not because of your greatness, but because of my greatness. And the less you are, the greater I can be when I use you. I've chosen you. And I've chosen you to handle the holy, sacred word of God. And to open up the word of God and 
to teach men and women and boys and girls eternal life. I've chosen you to be my instrument that I'm going to use to speak words and volumes into lives of people who far exceeds you in education, academics, and presence. I've chosen you. I'm amazed every Sunday morning when I turn my radio on and at 4.30 a.m. in the morning, I hear them say, here comes Pastor Sterling. Who am I to be on the radio speaking to millions of people? Who am I this little vessel that God chosen you? But yet, he's chosen me and he's chosen you. And who will know what God will do? Around the world, people call and say, Pastor, I listen to you on the radio. I listen to you online. We got copies of your sermons. Forty kids got saved listening to your, your series. Demons were cast out. Power of God is manifest through your ministry around the world. Who am I? Dirt that God decided to choose to you. Praise the Lord. You've been listening to the radio broadcast ministry of Kettering Baptist Church under the leadership of Senior Pastor Bukas Sterling III, where we minister in the spirit of excellence. We pray that you have been richly blessed by today's message. Financial contributions in support of this ministry are welcome. We thank you in advance for uniting with us in kingdom building. For a copy of this sermon on CD or to hear this message again on the web, please visit our website at KetteringMinistries.org and remember to reference the title or broadcast date. We hope that you have enjoyed our journey together and we invite you to join us for one of our Spirit-filled worship services Sundays at 8 a.m. or 11 a.m. at our new edifice called the Legacy Center located at 6909 Crane Highway, Upper Marlboro, Maryland. For additional information, go to our website at KetteringMinistries.org or contact our church office at 301-574-3515. Please join us again as Senior Pastor Bukas Sterling III and the Kettering Baptist Church family minister in the spirit of excellence.